Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Good morning, Our Savior's Church. How are you? Good. Good to be in God's house with family this morning and excited to dive into God's word. Uh, My name is Pastor Gabe and alongside my lovely bride Lauren, we serve as the lead pastors here at the Broussard campus. And uh, today's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. I want to dive right into God's word. I want to get right to it this morning. You know we're continuing in our series, Who is Jesus? And so... Will you pray with me as we dive into God's word? Lord, we love you. We are grateful. We're devoted to you. And God, as Cody mentioned, when we bring you our hearts, we bring you our yielded hearts, we bring you our gratitude, we bring you appreciation. You didn't have to do what you did for us, Lord, but you did. You found us, God, many of us in this room in our darkest moments, our lowest places, You found us in the mud, and you pulled us out of it. Thank you. So, Father, I pray that as I dive into your word and attempt to deal with this very important, massive question, who is Jesus? Lord, grace me to do it. Grace me to speak on your behalf. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus through me. Open up the eyes and the ears of your people. God, I pray light bulbs would go off in the room as people just, more than hearing it, they would catch it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus praise one more time. I do want to celebrate, I did in the first service as well, last week we had almost 40 people be baptized here, and that was so great to see. And just knowing so many of you and your stories and what God has done, I'm just telling you, so excited for you and what God is doing in your lives. Very special moments. So I want to begin with a, a series of questions that I want you to think about, I want you to ponder, I want you to wrestle with. Have you ever wondered, is this church, when I say the church, I don't mean our church, I mean church, global, capital C, is this really what Jesus intended? Is what we see really what Jesus was trying to bring to the earth? Like, is this really God's plan? Is this really what God wanted? When I think about church and religion and all of these things, is this really what Jesus came to do? Am I seeing this right? I want you to wrestle with those questions. Is what I'm seeing what he wanted to happen? Was the church supposed to be just another religious option for me to pick on the journey of trying to become my best self? Or me becoming a good person or a noble person or a moral person? Is is that what this is? Is it supposed to be reduced down to that? 
When you think about God's kingdom, let me ask another question. When you think about God's kingdom, what do you think about? Because for some of us, some of you, you think, well, the kingdom is when I die, one day I'm going to go into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And yet for others of you, you think, when I say the kingdom, you think, oh, but the kingdom, Pastor Gabe, is Christianity. The kingdom is religion today. It's people going to church. It's people faithfully waiting on the rapture, waiting for Jesus to come back. What if I told you that the answer, both of those answers are good, but they're both incomplete? What if I told you they're good, there's truth in those answers. They're not wrong, but they're incomplete. And I told you at the very beginning of this series that I was going to make some of you mad. And I intend to keep my promise. <laughs> that I was going to challenge you, but also bring comfort. Because that's what Jesus did. When he came, he challenged all of our thinking and the way that we saw the world. That's what he did, and that's what he's still doing. And so, again, what do you think about when you think about the kingdom? Now, to answer that question, we have to go back to the first question, the original question. The whole series is built on this question. Who is Jesus? Who is he? And as we answer that question, it's going to answer a number of questions. What did he really come to establish on the earth? What did he require of his followers? What did he say about himself? What, who is this Jesus? What is it that he wants? What is it that he came to build? And what does that mean for me? So if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've answered that question two ways so far. Number one, Jesus is God. The Bible makes that very clear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. He's God. But then last week we talked about Jesus being fully man, not half man, half God, fully man. He, we also talked about him being the high priest, meaning because he's fully man, that enables him and empowers him to sit at the right hand of the Father and intercede for us. So that when we blow it, when we mess up, Jesus is right there on the right hand of God going, give him another chance. I paid for that sin. I paid for that thing. I, my blood was for that thing that they just did. And so that's what we've been talking about. But I want you to see something a little bit different about who Jesus is, a different element of who Jesus is. Now, in order to do that, I'm going to go back all the way back to the Sunday before Easter, which we know as Palm Sunday. And if you remember in that, if you were here that day, Palm Sunday was the day that we celebrate when Jesus entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. We call that the triumphal entry. Where Jesus is sitting on a donkey and he's riding into Jerusalem, the centerpiece of the Jewish world, the place they believe God met with man and man met with God. And as he's on this donkey riding, the people are celebrating and cheering him on, waving palm branches, putting palm branches on the ground, taking off their jackets, sitting it on the ground so that the donkey can ride over them as Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And they're yelling, some things at him. They're yelling, Hosanna, 
Hosanna, which means save now. Save us. Rescue us. And then they say, blessed is the king of Israel. They were making some statements about him in that moment. I want you to understand something about the difference between how they saw the world and how we see the world. They had full context of the Old Testament. As a good Jewish boy or girl, you're, you're brought up learning the Torah. You're learning the scriptures. You know all the prophecies, many of them by heart, about the Messiah coming. And Jesus coming to rescue Israel and rescue his people. And so they have context for all of these things in their mind. As he's riding on that donkey, they're thinking about this promise and that promise and that promise. And in their mind, it all makes sense. Whereas we read it sometimes and we go, well, so Jesus is riding on a donkey. Okay, that's kind of cool. But they fully understand what's happening and what's going on. Let me give you an example of what that's like. I was on Facebook a couple days ago, or as my daughter calls it, the place old people go. <laughs> so I'm, I'm on Facebook, and there's like this, I don't know if it's a home, I think it was a homesteading group or something like that, because me and my wife lied to ourselves and told each other that we were going to become homesteaders, which still hasn't happened. But nonetheless, <laughs> so we, I'm on this site on Facebook, and somebody posts a video of a snake, and it's a snake in the water, and they ask the question, what kind of snake is this? And from my limited perspective, my limited context of understanding snakes, there's only two kinds of snakes, dead ones and ones that need to be dead. And if you're a fan of snakes, I'm sorry, I'm not, and you're not going to change my opinion. Okay, so I'm looking at that, and I'm like, oh, this is a dead snake. It needs to be a dead snake, right? And somebody chimes in, and they said, oh, that's, that's a water snake. And I'm like, duh, it's in the water. <laughs> and then this whole, these whole conversations start beginning, and people start saying, no, that's a, that's a diamond-backed water snake. I'm like, Okay. And then they begin this whole conversation about whether or not it's venomous. And somebody says, well, it's, it's not venomous because if, it's, if the snake is venomous, you can tell by the shape of his head. So if he has a shape like a V on his head, that means that he's venomous. And I'm like, that makes sense to me, V, venomous, okay, got it. <laughs> and then somebody else chimes in and they say, well, that's not true because, and let me show you, and they give him like, eight pictures of these snakes that don't have a V-shaped head, but they're venomous. And these snakes with venomous heads, whatever, they have V-shaped heads and they're not venomous. And this whole confusing thing. And they're having this conversation about snakes. And I'm like, it's alive. But they have researched and they've studied and they have this context. So as they're seeing it, they're seeing it through a completely different lens than the way I'm seeing it. I want you to see that moment of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. What we see is what the man we've, we know rose from the dead and 
what we know of the, even a Christian faith and a Christian religion, we see that they saw the context of everything the Old Testament said about him. And in a moment, they knew it all. They got it. They saw it. He's coming to be our king. And I think sometimes in our Christianity, what we miss is something that they caught. And I, we can fault them because they missed the most important part. They missed the fact that he is God. And because of that, they missed salvation. But something that they did catch that I fear we miss is we understand he's God, but we don't understand he's a king. And he's a king who came to establish a kingdom in the earth. That's who Jesus is. And in their mind, they had this context. I want, you, I want to read this to you. This is a promise that I'm sure was going through their minds when they saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Zechariah promised hundreds of years before this moment. Says this, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem, meaning he's coming in peace. And as we talked about on, on Palm Sunday, when a king came into a city or a region on a horse, it meant battle. When he came in on a war horse, it means war, get out of his way. If he came in on a donkey, it meant he's coming in peace. And so this promise is telling you that Jerusalem, your king, is coming in peace. But make no mistake about it, he is a king. And it goes on to say, I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to what? The nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of of the earth because of the covenant I made with you sealed with blood. I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. Now again, we can fault all the things that they missed, but one thing they got right is they understood Jesus was coming as a king. They were waiting for their Messiah to come as a king. And that, that is something that if we, when we don't understand that and we just view Christianity as a religion, that's what gives it such a bad rap. When you view Christianity, it's just I have these options. I can either be a Christian or I can be a Muslim or I can, or I can be a Buddha or maybe a Hare Krishna or, or whatever it is. You view these different things instead of understanding that Jesus did not come to bring another religion into the world. He came to claim what was rightfully his and establish his kingdom in the earth. And I'm going to explain that more in a moment. Just bear with me. But I think that's what gives us such a bad rap because there's tons of people who go to churches every week or almost every week. And they show up and they do their religious duty. They do their religious ritual. And they go through the motions and they fail to see what this is really all about. And they show up and they do their thing because it's tradition or it's what, I, I, my mom taught me this or my mama taught me this or this is the way I was raised. And, and we all, it's like, I'm, in, I'm from South Louisiana. All of us are Christian. In South Louisiana, there are more Christians than people. You'll catch that later. 
but I'm supposed to be. And that's not what Jesus came to do. That's not what he came. They have this false sense of relationship with him because they believe intellectually that he's God. But what they fail to do is to make him their king. And that's a big difference. Because even the demons know who he is. Even the demons understand that Jesus is God. They're not going to heaven. They're not going to heaven. Let's keep going. Jesus didn't come to build a world religion. If you're writing, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's the main point of my message. Jesus is not a religious leader. This is not a religion or a philosophy. Jesus is king, and this is his kingdom, and his kingdom is invading the earth. That's what I want you to see. A, a man by the name of George Ladd wrote a book called The Gospel of the Kingdom. And he said this, this is what the kingdom of God means, the defeat of the enemies of God. The kingdom of God means the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ until, until all his enemies are put under his feet. The kingdom is advancing and invading and it has a purpose to subdue the earth and to take back what belongs to God. So when I say kingdom, let me break that word down for a minute because, again, sometimes we, we churchify these words and we miss what they really mean. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a king's domain or a king's dominion, meaning whatever the king oversees and whatever is submitted to that king, that is his kingdom. So that means that if we are a part of his kingdom, we have to be submitted to him. We have to bow our knee to him if we're a part of his kingdom. And again, my fear, I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you this because I want to shift your mindset. My fear is that so many of us go, I'm going to raise my hand because I want fire insurance. I'm going to show up at church and be a good person and hopefully that's enough. And we miss, this is a king, not a religion. We miss it. Bear with me. When Jesus came and he started establishing his kingdom, that's why we saw all kind of crazy things happening that, that didn't really make sense to people. Like Jesus showing up in places and all of a sudden demons start manifesting. We don't see any of that in the Old Testament. But Jesus shows up and now you got demons talking through people and manifesting and stuff getting cast out and people are like, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. The king of the universe came to claim what was his. What happens? How do you know that you're in darkness? You don't know that you're in darkness until the light comes on. When the light comes on, all of a sudden the darkness is exposed for what it was. And when the light came, that's what Jesus did. He was, he was cutting it on so that everybody saw the gross darkness in the world. He did that with his teaching. He did that with his life. And he did that just with who he is. Light exposes darkness by nature. That's what it does. Matthew, let me give you an example of this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons, which is so dumb to even say. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided by war is doomed. 
A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you've said. But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then what? The kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Jesus is telling you what I'm doing, what he's doing. He says, I'm showing up and I'm tying up the strong man that has held the world captive. And I'm tying him up so that we can plunder. In other words, so that I can take back what's always been rightfully mine. Because see, when Adam and Eve fell, and I'm giving you a lot here, but I want you to get this because you've got to understand this. When Adam and Eve sinned, they abdicated. They gave up the right, the rulership of the earth. Guess who took it? Sin, death, the devil. So when Jesus came, after all of those thousands of years, he comes and says, guess what? I'm taking back what's mine. I'm taking it back. And I'm tying up the works of, the dar of darkness. I'm binding your works and I'm taking back what's mine. And I'm establishing on earth a kingdom, a people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation right here on the earth. So that's what he was doing. He was establishing a new kingdom. And he makes it very clear that kingdom would attack and defeat the enemies of God. Jesus would teach about Jesus would teach these parables about the kingdom. When Jesus taught us to pray, what did he say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? So many times we say that and we, we quote it, but we don't know what it means. What he's saying is your kingdom, God, your will be done. Let the kingdom of heaven be established in the earth. Let me take what the kingdom, what God wants, and establish it in the earth. In other words, did you know everything that happens on earth is not necessarily what God wanted to happen? That's why it's our responsibility and our, our goal and joy to pray God's kingdom into the earth. Because when you pray, God hears you. When you pray for certain situations, God will bring his will into that situation that may not have happened had you not prayed. So Jesus teaches us that we have a responsibility to bring the kingdom into the earth. But then he also says this. He demonstrates the kingdom. And he does this. Well, let me say this as well. Pastor, again, I thought the kingdom was like when I die. It is. But it's also right now. The kingdom is both now and to come. Pastor, now you're just confusing me. You're, are you a politician? Are you just speaking out both sides of my No. Wow. Hear me. It's both now and to come. When you're born again, Jesus taught us this. The whole born again prayer that we do at the end of our services. Jesus said this. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. In other words, when you're born again, you enter into a whole new way of living 
You enter into a whole new way of thinking, but you also enter into a brand new kingdom. And you now have a king that you follow and that leads you. And you are part of that royal priesthood, that holy nation, because he's your king, because you are born again. That begins the moment you're born again. And one day when he comes back and he abolishes the earth the way that it is, then we will see the fullness of that kingdom. But we haven't seen the fullness of it yet, but it has invaded the earth already. And the moment you're born again, you see that kingdom. You're in that kingdom. And you become a new creation. Let me keep going because I, I have more. I want you to see this. Jesus also taught about the kingdom and how he expects his people to live in the kingdom. When he did the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount was not just Jesus' like a teaching, like Jesus' tape ministry, or get his tapes and we'll send it around the world. No, it was Jesus was it was almost an inaugural address. Like a president that gives a speech before he takes over. That's what Jesus was doing. He was saying, this is how the people in my kingdom, this is how they live. And if you're a part of my kingdom, this is how you are supposed to live. That's what he was doing on the Sermon on the Mount. It was all related to the kingdom being established in the earth. And guess what that means? That we don't get to live however we want to live anymore. Simply put, we have a king and we submit to his will, not our own. And sometimes... I, I know I've done it. I've heard people do it. We excuse away our sin by saying stuff like, I'm, just, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Duh. I know nobody's perfect. But there's a difference between making a mistake and making a conscious effort to sin. There's a difference between going, I, I don't know and I know, but I'm choosing not to do this because I just don't want to do that. There's a difference. And it all goes down to who's really your king. Is it you or is it Jesus? And not only that, the world is watching us. You wear your Our Savior's Church t-shirt and then you curse people out. <laughs> if you ever see me in Walmart and I'm peeling off somebody's OSC Bruce R stick off the back of their car. It's because I busted you. That's why. We don't live how we want to live when we realize he's our king. Let me give you an example of this. Is it easy, Pastor Gabe? It's hard. I know. It's hard for me. I don't know a person that it's just easy for. I really don't. When people go, I don't sin anymore. You just did. <laughs> it's called lying. <laughs> I know it's hard, but I'm talking about a lifestyle of submission to our king. Not a commitment to a religion, a submission to our king. Let me give you an example of this. I, I, I was... Um, at my daughter's baseball game just this past week, my oldest two daughters play, both play softball. Pray for us. And so <laughs> some of these coaches are like, practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm like, where am I supposed to live? <laughs> like, when am I? But we, we went to this game, 
And my daughter, she's pretty good. If I could take a proud dad moment, she's pretty good. She's real, like, she, she's pretty good. And, and there, she's 12 going on 13, and she, they're playing against these girls from Lafayette. We're in Lafayette. And these girls look like they're about 25 years old. <laughs> I mean, they get up, and, like, my little, little 12-year-olds are passing them, and they're like, whack, like Mark McGuire, just, like, legs out, and they're just, like, sending balls. Look like they were going over the fence almost, just killing it. The, the pitcher on this team, literally, girls throwing, like, 200 miles per hour, a little bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> but they're massive, they're like these Amazon women. <laughs> and my daughter's having a good game. Like, she's catching, she's playing first base, she's catching balls and getting people out and, and all this stuff. And this one girl hits a ball, I think she goes to outfield, and so they run about, you know, however long to get the ball, and they throw it to my daughter. She gets it at first base, and as she's getting the ball, this girl who weighs 359 pounds <laughs> is running towards my daughter and plows her down. And she hits the ground, and I stand up, and she gets up. I still got the ball. <laughs> Let's go. So I'm like, I'm so proud of her. I'm like, you still got the ball. I'm like, take that, Amazon woman. But <laughs> and so she's got the ball, but I'm like, she also got knocked down. Like, is she okay? Is she okay? Is she all right? And she gets up. She's fine. She's got the ball. She sits down. Oh, she doesn't sit down. I sit down. Excuse me. And I can hear a mom next to me because they didn't have the divided fields. Like, we're all at the same field. Like, we're all in the same bench area. So both that's problems with softball games for kids, if you didn't know that. And I hear the mom say, she shouldn't have been standing on that base. And I look at her and I said, are we really going there? <laughs> I really did. I, I, and she looked at me and realized that I was her dad and was like, we're not going there. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I said that and I'm like, oh, you know, probably shouldn't have done that. But, and then I hear an older gentleman, an older man who must be with her, and obviously they're on the team, and he's got to let, and he's like, yep, she should not have been standing on that. But I don't know what her, why she did that. It's her own fault. She got, and I'm sitting there going, I'll fight an old person. <laughs> I'm not above that. Like, are we really talking about, I don't understand y'all have little girls. We're talking about my little girl. <laughs> And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, don't go there. Don't go there. And they keep talking. And, and I just said, I sat there quietly, and I watched the game. And let me tell you the reason why. A few reasons. Number one, there was a couple from our church. <laughs> No lie. 
older couple who's got a granddaughter on my daughter's team. I'm like, okay. Second reason, if I would have done anything, I'm a pastor. It would have been in the newspaper. <laughs> but with all of those things said, at the end of the day, he's my king. He's my king. And if I would have done what my flesh wanted to do, I would have grossly misrepresented my king. I would have brought reproach on my king. How can I say I'm his witness when I misrepresent him that way? I want you to catch something. It doesn't mean that we always feel like it doesn't mean we always want to do the right thing. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. But at the end of the day, submission begins where agreement ends. When I disagree with his approach, I submit to his approach. Why? Because he's not my religion. He's my king. Guess what? If he says it's wrong and I disagree, guess who's wrong? Me, not him. He's the moral authority. He gets to make the calls. I'm his follower. I'm his disciple. I submit to my king. Pastor, I don't know about the Bible. The Bible says we're going to get to a lot of those things in this series. What does the Bible say about this and that and that? At the end of the day, if he said it, even if I don't understand it, I'm bound to follow him because he's not my religion. He's my king. He's my king. Let me keep going. Being a part of his kingdom comes with accountability. I'm accountable to him. I don't just, I'm not just accountable for my representation of myself. I'm accountable for how the world sees him because I bear his name. The Bible calls us ambassadors for Christ. When you're an ambassador and you go to another nation, you are very well aware that when I speak, I'm not speaking in my own authority. I'm speaking in the authority of my nation. And I'm a part of a different kingdom, a different nation, and I speak with its authority. I'm accountable for how I act. I'm accountable for how I treat my wife. I'm accountable to him for that. I'm not just talking about publicly. I'm talking about privately. God help us if the world thinks that you're the best thing since sliced bread, but your kids hate you and see your hypocrisy. I'm accountable for that. I'm accountable for how I honor my boss at my job. I'm accountable for that. I'm accountable for how I humble myself and ask people for forgiveness when I know that I'm wrong. Why? Because, again, he's my king. He's not an elected official. He is king. Of all. And we humble ourselves. But make no mistake about it, even in our humility, I want you to see this. We are humble, but we are very much a part of an advancing kingdom. And let me give you an example of this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, very important, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them the same question that we're asking in this series. But who do you say that I am? 
Yes, what other people outside think, but for his followers, what do you say? And can I just say, let me just interject this into this moment. The world is going to think some very crazy things about who Jesus is, but we should know who he is. We should be utterly convinced if we're the church, his church, capital C, we should understand he is our king. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, also very important, shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. Now, we focus, and rightfully so, on the most important part of that story, which is Peter's confession that Jesus is Christ and the Son of the living God. And I want you to see those things because, again, we churchify so many things that we miss the importance of what's actually being said. When he said, you're the Christ, he's saying, you're the Messiah. You're the long-awaited king of Israel that they've been waiting for, that's been promised. You're the anointed one. But then he also says, you are the son of the living God. He understood both. What the Jews missed in the fact that he's the son of the living God, and what sometimes we miss, that he is a king. He's the promise fulfilled our king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Peter said, you're those things. And Jesus said, you got it. You understand it. And we focus on that. I want you also to see this. Peter, the Bible, Jesus says, Peter, you're the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Let me be very, there's a lot of different debate of what was Jesus saying, Peter, you're the pope. Let me help you. There was no such thing as a pope in the New Testament. If you can find it in the Bible and show it to me, I will let you play softball with my daughter. I don't know why I said that. I just said that, Michelle. I don't know. So it's not in there. What he was saying, what I believe, my belief, is that he was saying, you're the rock, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. Because of the revelation he was just given that Jesus is Lord. Now, why would he say, you're the, the rock I'm going to build this church on? Not because he was going to be the leader of the church. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts tells us James, the brother of Jesus, ended up being the leader of the church, if you will. But Peter was the first one to preach. He preached the very first message of the church. On the day of Pentecost, he gave the first message, 3,000 people born again in that moment. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that the disciple, the 12 apostles are foundation in New Jerusalem. 
So he's saying you're a part of the foundation of the church, the revelation you just got, and you're going to preach this first message. There's a lot going on there. But he says something incredible that I don't want you to miss. He says, and the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail against it. What? The church. Now, I've always heard that and just thought, that means we're going to storm hell. All three times that this is mentioned in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it makes sure to tell us that this happened in Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi was a district, and it was about 25 miles away from Galilee where Jesus had been preaching. And even though it was really close to the Jewish people, it was a very pagan area full of false gods, false Greek gods, and they built these false temples to these false gods 25 miles away, not far away. It's like having New Orleans 25 miles away from us, but worse. So he's, they're, they're there at this place where rabbis, some rabbis would literally forbid the Jewish people to go because it was that wicked. And they had these false temples and there was prostitution because their gods were the gods of fertility. So there was prostitution and there was sacrificing of animals and there was bestiality and there was all of these perverse, gross things happening in Caesarea Philippi at these temples. And these temples, one of them literally stood at the base of Mount Hermon. And there was a giant cave inside of this mountain at the base of it, and it would spew out water, and there was tons of water that would come out of this, going into this deep chasm, and the people would come and make these sacrifices. This is what I believe was in the backdrop of these disciples' mind. Number one, they're wondering, Jesus, why did you even bring us here? Like, this place is gross. Like, the Jews, some of them would even forbid us coming to this place, and Jesus chose that place to make the declaration, to allow Peter to have the revelation to declare that not only is he Christ, but he's the son of the living God. Why? Let me go back to the place. So they had this water that would flow out of this cave into this deep chasm, and the people would come and they would sacrifice animals. They would sacrifice these goats, and when they sacrificed them, they would toss them into that deep chasm, that deep that deep bed of water, whatever was flowing out of this cave. Now, two things are at place. They believed that inside of that cave was the underworld because they had so many different false gods, and they believed that their false gods would meet inside of this cave. So inside of this cave was the deep, dark underworld. That's what they believed at this time. And the people would throw their animals into this deep chasm. And guess what they called that deep chasm? The gates of hell. So when Jesus is telling his disciples, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, they had a mental picture of perversion. They had a mental picture of false idols. They had a mental picture. The city was named after Philip, 
one of the, the sons of Herod and Caesar. There's a temple to Caesar there as well. So the government, they had all of these things, I believe, in view. When Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, they had all of that in mind. And guess what that means for us today? Nothing's changed. Perversion, deep darkness, demonic power, horrible governments, as wor the worst of the worst still will not prevent the church from establishing its kingdom in the earth. Jesus chose that place with all of his darkness to say, guess what? I'm not only king of the Jews, I'm the king of kings. Doesn't matter how gross the world gets, he's still king. Doesn't matter how perverse our cultures become, he's still king. And his kingdom is still invading the earth. And he's also saying, Hades was also synonymous with death. And he's saying, not even death can defeat my kingdom. Not even death can stop it. Death was the last enemy that Jesus defeated on the cross. Nothing can stop it. And guess who's a part of that kingdom? You. Yeah. Pastor Gabe, in simple terms, what are you saying? The only way you lose is if you quit. The only way that you lose is if you give up. If you quit, because we're a part of a kingdom that does not fail. And he is constantly building his kingdom. He is constantly invading our communities. Broussard, New Iberia, St. Martinville, Catahoula, all of these places. Cypress Island. Shout out to Cypress Island. He's constantly invading his kingdom because his kingdom is on the offense. But you don't get that. If you think that I'm just a part of a religion. You live how you want to live and come to church and do your penance, your penance as long as you believe I'm just a part of a religion. But when you get this point, Jesus is king and he's establishing his kingdom and his kingdom is taking over. Then you know the truth of who you are. As I end... I want to end with this. I was in a conference just this past week, the ARC conference, and was there with, I'm guesstimating, probably 3,000 ministers from all over, the, all over the, the globe, all over the world. People from, pastors from Germany, pastors from Canada, pastors from Ireland, pastors from South America. There were even pastors from Mississippi. all kind of people. <laughs> and I saw young ministers and I saw older ministers. I saw black. I saw white. I saw Hispanic. I saw Asian. Okay, not many Asians, but I saw different nationalities. And uh, there was a moment where I got to look back and see this is God's kingdom. And these men and women are taking God's message, his lordship, 
his gospel and they're bringing it to the world. The kingdom is not hold on until the rapture happens. The kingdom is not, let me just hold on, Pastor Gabe, life is so hard. Let me, no, you are conquerors. You are more than conquerors, the Bible says. Your time, you may be here and say, well, Pastor, I've done my time. You're, as long as you're here, it's still your time. If he is not taking you into glory, you still have a part to play in this kingdom advancing in the earth and changing people and making him king of all. That's the part that we play. He's a conqueror. He's not a religion. He's not a philosophy. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And the last scripture I want to read to you spells out very clearly who he is and one day what we will see for ourselves. And Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, it says this. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. We're going to talk more about this, but the first time Jesus came, he came in peace. When he comes back next time, he is not coming in peace. His eyes were like flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except him. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title was the Word of God. In the beginning, the Word was with God. And the Word was God, remember? The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Verse 16, on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Church, that's the king that we submit to. That's the king that we follow. He has never stopped being in control. And he has not required of you a weak religion. He requires of us that we bow our knee and follow him. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for continuing to reveal to us through the scriptures, through the spirit, who Jesus is. Thank you that you didn't give us a religion or a belief system. You gave us a king, a king to follow, and a conquering king at that. So I pray that for this church, that they would see themselves the way that you see them, not wandering aimlessly in the wilderness, but conquering and taking the earth for your glory, opening their mouths to share the gospel, bowing their knee in the moments when their will is in conflict with yours and being what you called us to be, your followers, your disciples, your beloved. These are the beloved sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Now, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I've talked a lot about bowing our knee to Jesus. What am I talking about? I'm talking about submitting your ways to his.
talking about laying your life down, taking up your cross and following him. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Gabe, I may have prayed a prayer before or I may have never even stepped foot in a church, but I know I haven't done that. And I want to follow Jesus today. I want to be born again. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance and a prayer of commitment to follow him with your life and to become a part of this kingdom. Again, the book of John tells us you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. This is the moment that you enter in. This is the line of demarcation. This is where everything changes for you. And he loves you. And he wants your sins washed away because it's what he came to pay the price for. And it's as simple as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. You get honest with God about the sin in your life that's, that, that you have submitted to rather than submitting to him. And B, you believe. Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on that cross for your sin. Not the person next to you. Yours. And C, you confess that he is now Lord and that you will follow and that he is your king. If that's you and you say, Pastor Gabe, I want that. No one looking around on the count of three. I want you to just lift up your hand and I want to pray for you. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. See your hand back there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. 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 Anyone else? Keep it up high. Don't be embarrassed. Thank you, sir. Thank you. See your hand back there. See your hand, young man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. You can put them down. Church, let's join with these saints as they surrender to him, as they meet their king and enter into his kingdom. Say these words with me, all of us together. Let's pray this prayer of surrender. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to. And you rose again from the dead defeating death, hell, and the grave to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I repent of my sin, turn away from it, and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate with every person that prays that prayer. So welcome to the family of God. Listen, if you prayed that prayer very quickly, I want you to tell somebody what you've done. I want you to take that card in your pocket, check off the box and say, I prayed to be born again. Fill it out, leave it on your seat or bring it to our info desk or simply find somebody and say, hey, I prayed to be born again. What do I do next? And keep coming. 
keep coming and learning what it means to live in his kingdom. Did y'all enjoy being in church today? Good, come on. Well, stand to your feet. Let me pray for you and release you. Again, on, on the way out, if you, we have Who is Jesus merchandise back there, the t-shirts, the stickers, the um, button things. So if you want that, we would love you to have one. So let's pray. Father, I pray for your people, and I pray you make your face shine on them. I pray you bless them, God, in their going out and in their coming in. And I pray that everything they put their hands to for your kingdom, for your glory, would be blessed. And God, I pray that as a church, you would make us, continue molding us into a church that's a pure church that walks in the fear of the Lord, a powerful church walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and a persistent church even in the face of challenges. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.